Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for calling us to a life that is so different than the life we sometimes create for ourselves. We pray that in this time your spirit would draw us to your heart, to your story, and to your life. That we might live connected with you and one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today's stories, when I first read them, I came away from it going, okay, so God doesn't really like rich people, Um, (laughs) which is, of course, not the case. But you can come away from this story feeling that way. Um, There's multiple uh, uh, things, uh, both the Old Testament lesson, which has one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture. Um, I hope to participate in a little of this today, so hopefully God hasn't brought it to an end yet. But the, uh, it says that, and I will bring to an end the revelry of the loungers. How many of you are looking forward to being part of the revelry of the loungers later on? Right? That's, that's such a great phrase, oh, to just revel in the opportunity to do nothing. Right? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. God says, that's not really where life is found. Um, the revelry of the loungers is, an, is something that we are afforded by our own prosperity. The opportunity to stop, to relax, to, to uh, take that rest. Now, th- now don't, don't get me wrong. God is not opposed to rest and relaxation. In fact, God invented it. Right? <laughs> it's part of the... Part of the creation story is, and on the seventh day, God rested. He made rest. He wants you to have rest. But he doesn't want you to, uh, to think that rest is the most important thing in your life. It's part of your life. It's not the sum of your life. Now, Back to this wealth thing. We all, as I talk to the kids, no matter uh, most, no matter how much you have or don't have, um, you probably don't feel that you are rich beyond all means. I heard this week that you know the Bernie Sanders tax plan. If he, if that went through, then Jeff Bezos would owe nine nine billion dollars the first year or something. I, I was like, holy cow. That's, <laughs> never mind the tax plan. How do you own $9 billion and still have something like that's, that's That's a lot of wealth, right? So then I come away from that going, see, I'm not rich, right? But that comparison game is not the game that God's in. God looks at each and every one of us and he knows that and god knows that he has blessed you with an abundance god has blessed you with more than you need is that not true i did not say god has blessed you with more than you want right <laughs> because i think that would never be true right 
Unless we're talking about that verse where God never gives you more than you can handle, and you say, well, yeah, he did. He gave me way more than I wanted. So if you want to go that kind of blessing, then we can have that conversation. But most of us know God has blessed us with more than we need, but not more than we want. That dynamic works in our hearts, doesn't it? And where does your focus go? Because in our abundance, in our abundance, we always want more. And our focus goes towards how do I get to the more? Who's going to help me get to the more? Those are the people I surround myself with. Who's going to help me get to the more? Those, how, what, what's the path that's going to get me to the more that I want? That's, that's the path that I follow. How do I shape this so that I, I use my energy and my time and my abilities to, to get to the more? For whom? Well, for me, right? In the middle of that, there are people around us, all of us, who are part of our life that we do what with? <laughs> we avoid. We walk around. We go through. When you go downtown, um, when, the first time that you get into, that, that you uh, go to a place where you're going to encounter um, homeless folks asking for a handout, the first time you encountered that, did you want to help them? The first time, not, not the last time, but the first time you saw that, did you see them and go, oh. My experience is that lots of kids, when they see that for the first time, say, oh, what can we do for them? And lots of adults who have grown accustomed to having them around um, say, well, um, there's other people to help them. Both are true, by the way. <laughs> there are other people to help them. And, and possibly to provide better help than what I would be able to offer there. But what happens? We get accustomed to ignoring people that are around us that might detract us from the goals that we are serving for ourselves. And it's not all about money, is it? It's all about family. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know what? That's the place this happens the most, isn't it? In our Sunday school class today, we were talking about failure. Guys, Bob Goff, who teaches, who's the presenter for that class, he has a phrase. He said, it's not his. It's somebody else's. But he says, I, I'm not afraid of failing. I'm afraid at succeeding in something that doesn't matter. Not afraid to fail. I'm afraid at succeeding in something that doesn't matter. So often our focus gets on where we are going and what we are doing so much that we just go and move. 
and we don't pay any attention to how it impacts those that are around us. The poor, the needy, our family, our friends. And we say, well, we would never hurt them. Not intentionally, but we do it all the time, don't we? Because we don't check. Who's at our doorstep? Jesus tells this story of Lazarus and did you notice Lazarus and the rich man? And it's, and it's a turning of the tables because Lazarus is named and the rich man doesn't get a name, right? That's intentional because, we, uh, because Lazarus is known and the rich man becomes lost. But all throughout the story, the tables are turned, right? The rich man has everything and he, and he doesn't seem to know anything about Lazarus or care anything about Lazarus until things change, and then he wants to know Lazarus. And he does know his name. I'll give him that, right? It's not a true story, so stay with it. It's just a story again. Lazarus is named. He's known. He matters. The rich man, in the way that he lives, makes himself all about him, and nobody else matters. And in the end, what does he have? Nothing. And then there's that thing, that thing that scares us to death, right? And now, now you're there and you're in torment and you're, you realize that, that the life that you've created hasn't led you to good things, right? It's led you to a place of destruction and despair. And, a great, and it says a great chasm is fixed between you and us. <laughs> See, I don't really think that God is only talking about where we go after we die here. I think this happens now. Kingdom of God, now. Kingdom of hell, now. When we make this about me only, and it's no, and no one else is there, we start to build chasms. And I, I don't know how long we have to, to break those down. There's a time when those become fixed. I wanted to call this sermon rigor mortis. <laughs> right? You know, rigor mortis, you're familiar with that thanks to all of the crime shows on TV, right? Um, rigor mortis sets in. You can't move anymore. You're set. It's done. Many of us, you know, aches and pains, we go, well, I can't move as well as I used to. Right? We're, we're, working there. we're working our way there. But we can still move. You still have the opportunity to move. You still have the opportunity to bend. You still have the opportunity to look. And, and there's people at your doorstep, in your home, and in your life, who God has placed there that He calls us to see, to share, and to love. Some of them we've gotten blind to. We need to check our blind spot. Because when I'm driving, you know, you get on the freeway, long drives, right? If you get on the freeway for a long drive, what happens? You're, 
you're, you're, you see the people in front of you, you just follow the lane, all right, here we go, here we go, and then the car in front of you is, is going slow, and you, you're like, you've been checking your rear mirror, your rear view all the time, you've been watching the cars that are going faster than you and hoping that they get pulled over down the road. Um, you've been, you've been, you, you know who's coming up beside you, and so, so it's tempting, isn't it? You're like, okay, well, this guy's going too slow, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull over and, and, and go around them, and, and it's tempting to just say, oh, yeah, I know nobody's coming, right? But what do you have to do? You've got to check. Because your mirrors don't show you everything. And your memory fills in the gaps the way you want it to fill it in. <laughs> and you start to see things that aren't actually real. So we check. I think that happens in our life too when we get focused on where we're going. And it's all about the goal. And all those people gathered around us start to disappear into our blind spots. Check your blind spot today. Who has God called you to pay attention to that's right at your doorstep that you know Gosh, I've been ignoring them for days, for weeks, for months, for years. And they're here. Guys, they matter to God more than your goal. They matter to God more than your stuff. They matter to God as much as you matter. And one day you you will learn when we are all together that God values every one of us because we matter that much. Who's in your blind spot today that you need to check on and share some of the abundance of what God has given you to make life better? Because better isn't about me having more. It's about me being more connected. May God lead us to those connections that we may share who he is, who we are becoming, and where we are all one day hoping to be. Amen.